following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. I was so anxious to start a new series, I forgot what I was supposed to be doing, standing over there, not jumping the gun. Well, uh... We are starting a new series. I'll, I warned you about it last week. Um, I hope you had some time this week to read the Gospel of Mark. Um, we, um, we're not only starting a new series, but we're uh, um, with a new author. Um, but it's a whole new genre of literature, which is going to be a new challenge for me um, because this is not... Um, like the letters of Paul. Uh, for the last seven years or so, we've gone through the letters of Paul, and, and now we're beginning with the works of Peter, kind of. Well, but not really. Um, so I have to explain that, I think. We're departing from studying epistles, which are letters written to churches for their instructions, and we're turning to the historical narrative of the Gospel of Mark. Um, but before we get any further, let's pray. Father, it's already been um, asked this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. I pray, Lord, that you would bring your word to life in our sight, that our hearts would be changed, our minds would be renewed, and our spirits would be encouraged to follow hard after you, not to be lazy in our discipleship, but to be committed. Lord, we give you this time, and we look forward to studying your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, Marg, um, maybe you heard of that before. I'm not sure I say it in a way that you understand. Where I grew up, it was not pronounced this way, Marg. It was pronounced Mac. So... Just so you know where we are, it's not a mystery to you anymore. I had an uncle change his name from Mac to Dave because he was sick of hearing it said Mac. He says Mark. <laughs> anyway, not really. Well, so, Mark, it's not Peter. I know I kind of sold you a bill of goods there. Um, Mark is not Peter, and nor is he Paul. Um, and his style and purpose for writing are different from both Peter and Paul. The scholars suggest that Mark wrote of Peter's accounts of the life of Jesus. That's why we start with the Gospel of Mark when studying a series on the work of Peter, even when he did not write it. Um, uh, Mark wrote of Peter's accounts from his own memory of Peter's telling of those accounts, and as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Mark was not Peter's scribe. It's not like Paul's letters where somebody was writing as Paul was speaking. J.P. Lang wrote, The main source whence the gospel narratives were derived was the vivid recollection of the apostles, deepened, strengthened, and purified by the Spirit of God. Thus, Mark depended on the narrative of Peter 
which shaped itself in accordance with the peculiar point from which that apostle viewed the facts of the gospel. So, uh, Holy Spirit, Peter, Mark, all working together to write this gospel account. Now, do you know who Mark is? Have you ever heard of him before, other than this gospel that bears his name? He is mentioned in several other places in Scripture as John Mark, um, something that you can you can find him in. We've mentioned him in the letters of Paul and Lust in the book of Acts. Uh, Mark's mother's name was Mary, and uh, she was a wealthy follower of Jesus from Jerusalem, not not Jesus' mother, not Mary Magdalene, not the other Mary. She's the other other Mary. Very popular name. So uh, she's her own Mary, not any one of those others. Um, Mark was also the cousin of Barnabas. You've heard that name before in the book of Acts. Um, Paul and Barnabas worked together. And Mark had traveled uh, with Barnabas and Paul uh, and then deserted them at one point and ran home to Mama in Jerusalem. And the question of his faithfulness to the work uh, became uh, the, became a point of contention between Barnabas and Paul. And they parted ways because Paul said, we're not taking this unfaithful slouch with us. We need dedicated workers. And Barnabas says, I, I think we should bring him along anyway. He needs help. He needs encouragement. That's what Barnabas is. That's what that means, son of encouragement, right? He wanted to build him up and not cast him aside. That's a whole another story. Um, eventually, his relationship with Paul was restored, and he became very useful to Paul in ministry. Those were Paul's words. He said he was very useful to him in ministry, in part because of the ministry of Barnabas. He didn't give up on him. He wanted to encourage him and help him grow. Morning. Mm. J.P. Lang also wrote, Mark the evangelist, who is ardent and energetic, a kindred companion to Peter. He's kindly, warm-hearted, and affectionate, a, a cousin of Barnabas, also in the spiritual sense, his brother. He was liberal and original in his views, a good friend of Paul, and was called by the Lord to transmit unto the church a gospel in which it is shown how the lion of the tribe of Judah became the lamb of God and how all human heroism find both, finds both its harmony and transfiguration in the glorious achievements and conquests of the God-man. Mark is by far my favorite gospel because it's, it's an action story. It's action movie. And it's the uh, gospel of the lion of Judah, uh, which finds a special place in my heart. Um, and those are just some quick facts about the human author of this gospel, and you can read more about him, like I said, in the book of Acts. But for now, I want to take a look at the first few verses of the gospel of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and that's page 8.36 in the Pew Bible. Gospel of Mark has been referred to as the Gospel of the Lion, 
the gospel of mighty achievements, the gospel of the victorious conqueror over all satanic powers, and the gospel of the intrinsic power and life of Christ. And what you'll find as we study this, uh, this book together, every deed that our Lord performs as recorded in this gospel is a victory over the hostile powers of Satan. Every deed. So I want to look at, look for those victories together. Keep that thought in mind. Mark 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. Before I get any further, someone tell me what the word gospel mean. Good news. That's what the word means, good news. Now, there's gospel, big G, gospel, small g. Anybody can tell me the difference? No, I finally got you. Okay, gospel with the uppercase G means the book. The Gospel of Mark, okay? Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of John, big G. Little G, Gospel, what's that? That is the actual proclamation of the good news. Jesus died for your sin on a cross. When we say share the Gospel, that does not mean we share. Here's the Gospel of Mark. I I guess technically I shared the Gospel with you. I had it, now you have it, but that's the Gospel of big G. When we tell people about Jesus and his power and what he did, that's sharing the good news, sharing the gospel with the little g, and nobody cares. So, I have to write it out all the time, and you don't probably, so it sticks in my mind. That's a bonus, anyway. Sorry. It had been 400 years 400 long years since the people of Israel had heard the voice of a prophet. The words of God had been silenced until the day that John appeared in the wilderness. No prophet spoke, no, no word of God recorded for over 400 years. Malachi was the last of God's lawful prophets wrote in, Malachi, in, in his book, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. And Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
The words of God had been silenced, silent until the voice of John cried out in the wilderness. We call him John the Baptist. That's not opposed to John the Methodist or John the Evan Christian. John the Baptizer, John the Dunker is the most literal translation. Um, the Dipper, the Dunker. So now you know why they don't call him that in the scripture. They leave it John the Baptist so people don't giggle. <clears throat> John is the final expression of the Old Testament. He is the, he is the, um, uh, the, the last voice of the Old Covenant. And as the final expression of the Old Testament, what is it that he cried out? He says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, I can't read these words without hearing the song from Godspell. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I don't know anything about the rest of the show other than they dress Jesus up like a clown. But I remember that song. And I can't help but sing it when I hear these words. Prepare the way of the Lord. Why is this important that this lines up John the Baptist and Isaiah and Malachi? Why is that important? Now, if George were here, he would tell you because the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Christ. God says, this is how it's going to happen. And this is exactly what he says is going to happen. A voice will cry in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And out comes John. This is the Old Testament stamp of approval on the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? We don't carry around two books. We don't carry around 66 books. We carry around one. This all work together. Old and New Testament are partners. They're not opposed to each other. Even today, conservative Jews all over the world are waiting for Elijah to come. They're waiting for him to return as the precursor to Messiah. They're waiting for the herald to come and cry, prepare the way of the Lord. Every year at Passover, they leave an empty chair for Elijah. And they even send out a child to open the door to see if Elijah will come and join them for their Seder dinner. (laughs) They missed it. 2,000 years, they missed it. Elijah has already come, and he's even still wearing the same outfit, camel hair, leather belt. Jesus would attest later in Mark chapter 9 that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Elijah's return. And what was John's message that he's crying out in the wilderness? Now, thankfully, conveniently, he packaged it in a three-point sermon. So, it's recorded right here in chapter 1. Three points. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Point number two. Repent for the forgiveness of sin. And point three. A greater one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There. All we need is a poem. We can close in prayer. That's an old preacher joke. Mr. Aaron gets it. First points, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. 
It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, it's very clear John the Baptist was a civil engineer and was describing the process of building the highway. Well, it's fortunate we get to watch it right out front here. Just a note, next weekend you're going to have to go around because that bridge is going to be missing. So, Newman Drew Road, go around to get here. I just don't want you to be surprised. I'll still be surprised, but... So John is describing the process of building the highway by blasting and bulldozing through mountains and hills and filling in valleys in order to make smooth and straight roads like our Route 16, right? That's what he had in mind? No. Okay, so it must be something else. It must be a figurative expression. And like a civil engineer, John is pointing out moral landscape, not the physical landscape, and showing the areas that need filling. And areas that need blasting in order to make a straight path for the Lord in the hearts of people. We all have our hills and valleys. We all have our rough places. And at some point, the Lord needed the path to be prepared for him to enter into our lives. The Holy Spirit continues this work even today. It's called conviction. Conviction. Conviction of sin. Conviction of sin is a true first step to salvation. If we've been saved without being convicted of sin, we've got a problem. After all, if we have no sin, we need no Savior, right? And Jesus died for nothing. The whole cross thing wasn't really for me. I like Jesus and everything, but I'm all right. So I just kind of add him on. This is not right. The glory of the Lord is revealed when we identify the mountains and valleys of sin in our lives and allow him to clear a straight path in our hearts. Conviction of sin. But conviction of sin is only the first step. Admitting there is a problem is only the first step in finding a solution, right? And that leads to John's second point. The reaction to conviction is repentance. These are not real popular even in gospel preaching today. Nobody wants to talk about a sin. Nobody wants to hear that they're bad because we have been fooled into thinking that people are basically good and we can add Jesus on to be better. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And you can see in the book of Acts that John's baptism and Jesus' baptism are different. That's important difference. Um, but you're going to have to read the book of Acts to figure it out. More work for you. 
So what is repentance? Um, we've talked about this here before. Repentance means to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. Got that? Okay. Repentance is a 180 degree turn from sin to righteousness, from the way of death to the way of life. My way, my decisions, my thought processes, my natural inclinations go this way, and that's all a sin. Without the Holy Spirit's intervention, all we can do is sin. We can't do anything right. If we do, it's an accident. But when we repent, we turn from this way to this way, the way of righteousness, the way of life, the way of obedience, the way of Christ over here. But in order to turn this way, you have to turn away from that way. Now, that's not real popular either, because we just want to say, I'm forgiven for my sin, but I still kind of like it, so I'm going to keep doing it. This is not the way of salvation, and we can laugh because we're in church, because nobody here does that. No, we don't. Wrong. We like our sin. Our sin is over there. It's the way that leads to death. When we repent, we turn away from our sin, and we turn to obedience. Jesus said himself, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Not know my commands and view them as suggestions. They are commands we must obey. Hmm, that was not in the notes. In our day, there's far too much what Joel's dad, Pastor Roger Brown, calls easy believism. I always snicker at that expression easy believism that's what's preached in a lot of churches that jesus died to make your life better to solve your problems that he only wants to add to your life and not take anything away that's easy believism that's like buying a patriots t-shirt and calling yourself a patriots fan and never watching the games (sighs) right that's like calling yourself a red sox fan and not knowing the yankees lineup now we're getting somewhere. If we are not truly convicted of our sin, we will not turn from it. If we think our sin is not that bad, we will not reject it. We would never repent because we don't think we have a problem. Everybody does that. What's the big deal? Because your standard is everybody else. I don't, well, I don't kill anybody. I pay my taxes. I, whatever, I go to church every Sunday. I'm better than a lot of people. No, you're not. We're all in the same boat. And until we are convicted that we have a problem with sin, we can't turn away from it because we don't see it as a problem. If this is how you feel, that you're never really that bad and there's never really a problem, and there's certainly no need for a change in your life and behavior, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is not in you and you are not saved. You hear me? I hate that. But that's the truth. And if that thought bothers you, you are experiencing conviction. (laughs) Praise God. 
So, what do we do in response to conviction? We repent. We turn from that. Reject it. Confess your sins to the Lord and turn from them. Change your behavior because you have changed your mind about your sin. It's only after we have experienced conviction of our sin, real conviction of our sin and sinfulness, and repented of our sin, turned away from it, that we can experience John's third point. One is coming that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, Now John was clothed with, clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That's exactly how Elijah was described in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8. You can look that up if you want. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When we are convicted of our sin and confessing our sin, we repent. The one who is greater than John the Baptist, Jesus, the Christ, will give us a new heart and live within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This conviction, this repentance is all preparing the way of the Lord. It's making smooth the rough places and making a highway for God into our hearts. John baptized with water. He baptized the outside of people, cleansing the outside. But Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. He baptized the inside of people, cleansing the inside. The question for us to consider today is has he truly cleansed your inside? Have you been convicted of your sin, confessed it to him, repented of it, so that he can come in and baptize you with the Holy Spirit, fill you with the Holy Spirit, clean your insides? Are you trusting in Jesus just to make your life easier to bear? Is that what Jesus is? Or are you trusting him to bear your sin to the cross? That's a different. With Jesus is not an add-on to make your life easier. <laughs> Truly following Jesus makes your life on this earth a great deal harder. But he carries us through. This is the victory that the Lion of Judah, Jesus our Messiah, has won. It's victory over sin, victory over sin's consequences, and victory over this mindset that we're really not that bad. And we don't really need anybody's help to get better. But if Jesus could make life a little easier, that'd be great. That's not victory. That's not, that's worthless. In an eternal perspective, that thinking is worthless. That's not purchase a place for us in God's eternal kingdom. All I can say is may the hills and valleys of our own hearts be made level, a highway for our God, that his glory may be revealed to all flesh in us. 
in the forgiveness of our sin and the new life that he has bought for us with his own blood. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Amen. May he do his work in us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the victory that Jesus has won over sin and death and the grave. We're thankful for the reminder that Jesus is just not an add-on to make our life easier to bear, but that we can trust in you to bear our sins on the cross, that you have purchased a place for us in your eternal kingdom with your blood. And the purpose of all that is not to just make life better for us now, but for the promise of eternal life in your coming kingdom. I pray, Father, that if anyone here is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they have not truly confessed their sins, have not truly repented and left that life of sin behind. I pray, Father, that even now they would turn away from their sin, confess it to you, trust you with it, that you might be uh, that they might be truly filled with the Holy Spirit, made a new creature. Mm. Even if we've been thinking we're all set for a long time, may your Holy Spirit break down the walls, break down the mountains, fill in the valleys, show us the truth that we might be truly yours, truly saved, and truly filled with your Holy Spirit. We trust you with this work, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.